As someone diagnosed with a chronic disease, I struggle with minor daily tasks. I strain over things that should be easy. I stress knowing that I have so much to do, want to do, need to do, and know that much of it I will not be able to even start. I don't want your judgment, your sympathy, or your help. I need to be accepted as a fellow human being, not something you need to fix. Hello and welcome to episode 235 of Under the Call of MS. This is going to be a multiple sclerosis health segments episode, a variety of different little segments of health related things that I've been Uncramming from my post office box, and they're things that are filling up my emails and my Facebook and everything else, all kinds of information, questions, stuff like that. So I put it in the little health segments and talk about them. And just know that the following stuff is health related info I came across or stuff that's been given to me. Uh, Don't take my word about anything. Always discuss anything you're thinking about doing or you hear that interests you or your feelings and stuff like that with your health team, uh, your PCP, your neurologist, or whatever doctor's able to help you with whatever issue that you're dealing with uh i'm just going through stuff and going through stuff i came across and just talking about my journey with my issues and how things have affected me so definitely talk to your doctor before you try anything or do anything or decide to change anything in your lifestyle We'll get right back to you right after this with some little health segments, starting with, uh, I think we're going to start off with the basics, some early signs of multiple sclerosis. So we'll be right back in a second. All right, for the first MS health segment, we're going to talk about some symptoms that you might have experienced to first find out that you had multiple sclerosis or got you into a doctor's office to find out more about something. But some common early signs that we deal with because of MS, multiple sclerosis, which is a progressive immune-mediating disorder. That means the system designed to keep your body healthy mistakenly attacks parts of your body that aren't harmful. Uh, The things in the human body that basically protect the normies, the normal humans, the ones that don't have a chronic condition, 
the things that protect them and stuff are too active in our bodies and instead attack us. But protective coverings of nerve cells are damaged because of this, which leads to diminished function in the brain and spinal cord. MS is a, is a disease with unpredictable symptoms that can vary in intensity. While some people experience fatigue and numbness, severe cases of MS can cause paralysis, vision loss, and diminished brain function. MS is a lifelong disease, but it can be managed, and researchers are continually looking for more effective treatments and stuff to hopefully help us out with some of this pain and ash issues that we got to deal with with this monster in everyday life. So basically, if you're just starting out and just learning about MS, uh, not sure what got you diagnosed or what got your interest peaked about it, if you hopefully aren't just self-diagnosing yourself. Some early signs of multiple sclerosis are vision problems. Optic neuritis is common, which is basically where the nerve that goes from your eyeball back to your brain, basically that nerve is all tight and you have issues that affect it when you try and look to the sides and stuff like that. There's other type of vision problems too. But, uh, tingling and numbness. I've mentioned that I've been asleep from my rib cage to my toes and my forearms to my fingertips. I don't even know how long anymore. I always used to say 20 plus years. Now it's got to be like 30 years. I don't want to say when that started. I believe it started partway through my stint working for Mayflower Moving. So I'd say the early 90s, early to mid 90s is when that started for me. I've had numbness and tingling issues prior to that, but that was a permanent one that came on. and I have not lost it since. I wish I have. <laughs> I've gotten used to it, and it really sucks. First couple of years, I know every time I see someone asking about it, it's like, is this just a flare-up or what? And it's like, I got to let them know about mine, because hopefully yours is a flare-up. Mine never did go away. It wasn't a relapsing issue that just came and went. I so greatly wish it would have. It's so weird. Not being able to feel bodily functions and going to the bathroom and stuff like that, sexually, all that. You just, it's all sleep. <laughs> it's, granted, sometimes it's lower levels of numbness. Sometimes it's more intense levels. But, yeah, it's all sleep. <laughs> and walking gait issues because you can't tell when you're putting your feet on the ground. When you're grabbing stuff with your hands, you can't tell how good you got it held in your hands. It's just, yeah, it, it affects all that. It's a major pain in the ass. 
but some people just have it a little bit here and there. Some people have it through their whole bodies. I have it through about 80% of my body. Pains and spasms, they're fun. There's the phantom pains that have stabbing, burning, itching, uh, scratching, bugs crawling. I've been dealing with the bug system right now where it feels like I got worms and stuff crawling inside my flesh along with all the bugs on the outside of my flesh. Granted, sometimes there's a fly or a gnat or something on me. But most times it's not, it's just phantom, phantom feelings, the cutting, the pains with knife style pains. I'll have feeling of being stabbed by small knives, medium knives, <laughs> big knives. Uh, times where I feel like I'm getting slammed in the spine with a sledgehammer or knocked on, on the backside with something heavy. Uh, there's so many different types of pains and spasms. I'm going to full body spasm, just a couple fingers, toes, a hand, just all kinds of random things with that. That's always fun. Weakness and fatigue. Uh, you get to the point where I've had, due to heat, and the sun beating down on it, or your body just feels like weights are just being thrown on it, and you're just slowly crumbling down to the ground. Uh, weakness moments where you get your arms and legs get so weak it can't support your body anymore, you just collapse. Uh, fatigue, that's 24-7 for me, at least. Uh, it's... I've tried so many things to negate it. It's just not having much luck in that department. Uh, I've tried over-the-counter. I've tried prescription shit. I've tried naturalist stuff. And there's just so many things for all this stuff. Tons of things for. And I don't think I've ever had anything that really straight-up worked. Long term, I've had partial turn. Like I'm on a bladder, bladder thing right now, where I can go a few weeks, where I can sleep for till about five in the morning before I gotta get up and go to the bathroom. And then a week later, I can be going every half hour again. It's like just the medication sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. The baclofen I'm on for my seizures and for my spasms and cramping and all the spasticity issues, it helps a little bit, but I'm still having issues with it. And I keep adding a pill, adding a pill, adding a pill. And still, no matter what, I still have some sort of of the issues. I can't completely make them go away. Uh, yeah, I'm just, there's lots of medications. I, granted, some people it may work for. Some people eat a piece of lettuce and they're, Good to go for the rest of your life. I don't know. It's just yeah, it's nice to know things that are able to be done, but it's really hard to do certain things when you're dealing with constant issues and you're trying to get beyond them to do certain things. It's just I don't know. I know I'm 
my depression's amped right now and everything else because of this new medication of mine with this nausea and got the anti-nausea medication took that and you stick that under your tongue and the taste of that makes you throw up <laughs> it's just i don't know take a medication to help my issues and the medication gives me more issues and you take it more medications to fix those issues and that, that medication's causing me more problems it's like really why didn't i just give it a chance and see how everything goes without taking anything that is my next thing but i know it's gonna be it's your lifestyle you gotta keep it as simple as possible and stress-free as possible because any moment you can set it off and put you in a way worse position than you would have been if you just stuck it out with a dmt but i don't know we'll see what the future has to offer that yeah weakness or fatigue balance problems dizziness gait issues suck uh I constantly have a right side pull. I've had I tip to the right side all the time. I use my cane on the right side for it. Uh, the walker helps a lot with uneven yards and stuff like that. They, I got a cedar walker recently, so that's nice. Cause you can take breaks with it at the compartment underneath the seat, so I can keep some. Sketch pads, notepads, and shit like that, tablet or whatever. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of different things to help you with gate issues. But yeah, it's weird how your body, it depends where the lesions are in your brain and stuff, how it affects your mobility and your gate issues, which way you're going to go. But it's like I've had moments where also my body decided to take a right hand turn and I walked into a wall or a shelf or something it's like the doorway is another few feet away but for some reason my body decided I face planted showers and stuff like that when the heat kicks in and affects you in the shower or whatever but yeah it's a balance problems dizziness vertigo and It'll advance into stuff like that if you have it, probably. Bladder issues, which I just mentioned, I'm on a bladder control medication. That's, yeah, it can be annoying. Can't empty it, can't get to it, can't go, have to go. Uh, there's just so many different different ways the bladder issues can go. And then some people have bowel issues, too which I haven't had any up until now. This new medication, I think, constipating me because I haven't taken any shit in a few <laughs> TMI, I know. But that's what you get on this podcast. You're going to hear about it all. <laughs> Once I start yapping, I just let it all out. But uh, sexual dysfunction, like I was saying with numbness and stuff like that, uh, just nerve damage it can just things just don't want to work just don't work the way they're supposed to or the craving of it is down it's just, all kinds of issues can have 
with sexual dysfunction too. And then the good old cognitive problems. Uh, cog fog, brain issues, which I'm going to talk about that, I think, probably next. I'll do a segment on cog fog. It's kind of going into a few of these different things, relate them a little bit. Uh, so this would be a good episode, hopefully, for someone that's newer, newly diagnosed, wants to know more information and stuff. But for some, the earliest signs of MS might include Clinically isolated syndrome, CIS, neurologic symptoms that last at least 24 hours and can't be associated with another cause. It includes what's called demyelination, which is damage to myelin, the protective coating that helps protect the nerve cells in the central nervous system. It's like the way I like to explain multiple sclerosis. I uh, changed it up a little bit. Oh, actually, I mean, basically, it's like I like to look at it like you got a house. The house is newly wired, but something happened. The mice decided to eat a bunch of the coating off the wires. And you have different rooms throughout your house that are that have damaged wiring going to them, so the elect- electrical isn't working as well as usual. Like the kitchen could be stomach issues, stuff like that. The bathroom could be bladder issues. Uh, master bedroom there's your sexual issues Uh, each room has a different thing one that's cognitive one's fatigue one's pains and it's so many different rooms that could affect each room could be affected differently just like each part of your brain can affect your body differently depending on which part has demyelination and damage and our wonderful little uh, <laughs> this is cockfog right here. An example of it. Just uh, brain is totally, totally forget stuff that you know perfectly well. <laughs> you deal with it every day of your life, but yeah, you get lesions in the brain. And those are areas where you have the damage, and that's depending where they are. It depends on what you're going to have. But although CIS doesn't necessarily lead to MS, it could be an early sign. Some symptoms of CI central or clinically isolated syndrome is uh, optic neuritis. That's damage to the myelin of your optic nerve, which may cause vision issues and eye pain which I was giving you an example earlier. The Hermites sign this condition is caused by demyelination lesions on the spinal cord. They cause a tingling or shock feeling going down the back of the neck, especially when you bend your neck downward. I call it an electrical orgasm. It's how it feels to me, but sometimes it's more painful and sometimes it's just more electrical. Yeah, 
And then there's transverse myelitis. This is when the spinal cord is involved and can cause muscle weakness, numbness, and other issues. An MRI is a good thing to rule out stuff and check that out. And then the common MS problems, like vision problems, are one of the most common symptoms early on and that they notice uh, inflammation affects the optic nerve and disrupts the vision. This can cause blurred vision or loss of vision. Sometimes the cranial nerves of the brainstem can be involved, causing eye movement problems or double vision. Uh, three common vision symptoms of MS are optic neuritis, which I just said, the inflammation of the optic nerve, nystagmus, which is unstable movement of the eye, sometimes called dancing eyes, and diplopia, which is double vision. Uh, Tingling and numbness, tingling sensation, numbness are one of the most common warning signs of MS. Common sites of numbness include the face, arm, legs, and fingers. Uh, can also You can also have paresthesias, which is sensations like numbness, tingling, or burning. Uh, pain and spasms. Different types of MS pain could include neuropathic pain. Acute pain is caused by nerve miscommunicating signals to the brain. Examples are the trigeminal neuralgia, which is severe pain on the side, one side of your face, is what I've known people to deal with. Uh, the Hermes sign, which we just talked about, the MS hug, which is Severe crushing pain and different pains across your ribs, your chest, your lungs, your back. Uh, mostly in the upper part of the body is when we deal with that. And perox- paroxysmal spasms. Uh, slurred speech and trouble swallowing. Particularly in later stages of the condition can also occur due to motor issues. Uh, Types of spasticity associated with MS include flexor spasticity, where muscles become very tight so that they bend and are unable to be straightened, which I get that all the time. My hands and toe, my fingers and toes will lock and turn and just cross and do all these weird positions, and I got to try and pull them apart and I just instantly go right back to whatever position they are in. Uh, I'll get it with my arm once in a while. Uh, extensor spasticity, where muscles have the opposite, opposite problem. They're so tight that the arms or legs become straightened and can't bend. Which, yeah, I get that a lot, especially with nighttime spasticity issues. And you just try your damnest to try and get the things to move, and you can't. It's so weird. So you think, like, the bone's seized. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. And fatigue and weakness. 
which chronic fatigue occurs when nerves deteriorate in the spinal column. Usually the fatigue appears suddenly and lasts for weeks before improving. The weakness is most noticeable in the legs at first. People who have MS can have intermittent fatigue, recurrent fatigue, or constant chronic fatigue. There's sometimes an increased chance of having the separate diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome for people who have MS. Uh, Balance problems and dizziness. Dizziness and problems with coordination and balance can decrease the mobility of someone with MS. This can contribute to problems with your gait. People with MS often feel lightheaded, dizzy, or as if their surroundings are spinning, which is vertigo. This symptom often occurs when you stand up. I get it when I'm walking a lot, especially the vertigo. Bladder and bowel dysfunction. A dysfunctional bladder is another common symptom. This can include frequent urination, strong urges to urinate, inability to hold in urine, urine, inability to urinate, bladder retention. So all different wonderful aspects of it. Sexual dysfunction, sexual arousal, and function can also be a problem for people with MS because it begins in the central nervous system where MS attacks. It could stem from physical problems with fatigue, spasticity, or secondary emotional symptoms. Cognitive problems. We Many will develop some kind of issue with their cognitive function. This can include memory problems, shortened attention span, trouble concentration, difficulty staying organized, depression, and other emotional health problems are also common. Change in emotional health, uh, major depression is common among people with MS. The stresses of MS can also cause irritability, mood swings, and rarely a condition called pseudobulbar effect, which I've been experiencing a lot this year for some reason. So I finally got a break from it for a few years, and now all of a sudden it's amped up again, or, or this involves uncontrollable bouts of crying and laughing. It's uh, you're crying when you should be laughing and you're laughing when you should be crying. That's it's, uh, <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing. It makes no sense. That's what a damaged brain will do. But all those symptoms can put a stress on your relationships, family issues, all that. Which mine happens to pop up a lot during family events and stuff. Some less common MS MS symptoms are hearing loss, seizures, uncontrollable shaking or tremors, breathing problems, loss of taste. Secondary symptoms of MS aren't caused by the main driver of MS symptoms, demyelination. They're actually complications caused by the body's reactions to it. There are many varied symptoms that could occur like muscle weakness, lack of use, and increased stress, and emotional issues. Your doctor can help you alleviate existing symptoms and prevent them from occurring by 
addressing the primary symptoms of MS. So, yeah, that's lots of different things that help you out with the beginning parts of MS and getting started with the monster. But get your neurological exam, and they'll probably get into. You can get an eye exam, depending on if you're dealing with optic neuritis. I'd say almost all the doctors will definitely go with the MRI, and they'll sit there and do it with or without contrast. Contrast helps them give them a better, better view of the uh, lesions and stuff and the damage. And spinal tap, lumbar puncture is often used also, so. Talk to your doctor and see what he can help you out with or she can help you out with. And hopefully you can get some stuff to help you with the issues in your future. And we'll get back to you with more health stuff sometime soon. Okay, let's talk about some cog fogs. Cognitive issues we get to deal with multiple sclerosis. If you're living with multiple sclerosis, you've probably lost several minutes, if not hours, searching your house for misplaced items, only to find your keys or wallet somewhere random, like the kitchen, pantry, or medicine cab. Yeah, everybody deals with that. You're not alone. Cog fog or MS-related brain fog affects many people living with MS. In fact, it's estimated that more than half of the people living with MS will develop cognitive issues like difficulty, understanding conversation, thinking critically, or recalling memories. Many of us call it cog fog. Uh, It's also referred to as brain fog, changes in cognition or cognitive impairment, uh, losing your train of thought mid-sentence, forgetting what you entered a room for, or struggling to remember a friend's name are all possibilities when cog fog strikes. I've struggled, struggled to remember how to spell my name. <laughs> I forgot members of my family, I forgot my wife's name. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's basically MS is a disease of the central nervous system that affects the brain and spinal cord. It also causes areas of inflammation and lesions on the brain. As a result, people with MS can have cognitive issues that typically involve slowness of processing, trouble multitasking, and distractibility. Uh, There's so many times I talked about stuff and never finished it. It cracks me up. When I re-listen to my podcast, uh, I'll be catching things. I'll be yelling at myself. It's just, yeah. Some of the more common areas of life that are affected by cognitive changes include memory, attention, and concentration, verbal fluency, and information processing. It's what I love about the podcast. It's helped me a lot 
with my issues, but I can't get rid of them. They're still there. On top of that, fatigue is also prevalent in people with MS, which can cause forgetfulness, lack of interest, and little energy. The good news, there are immediate and long-term strategies for decreasing CogPog or even just making it a bit more manageable. Well, let's hear what those are. (laughs) Diet. Changes to your diet. Notably, the addition of healthy fats can help with CogFog. Healthy fats like avocado, coconut oil, and grass-fed butter help help some people's CogFog. Healthy fats or foods rich in omega-3s are known for their role in brain health. In addition to avocados and coconut oil, include some of these to your diet. Seafood like salmon, mackerel, sardines, and cod. Extra virgin olive oil, walnuts, chia seeds, and flax seeds. I use pretty much all that stuff. Still got cognitive issues. Exercise has been studied for years as a way to help people with MS deal with the daily struggles of cog fog. Uh, Physical activity has been correlated with cognitive speed in people with MS. But it's not just the favorable impact that exercise has on the brain that's important. Engaging in physical activity is also good for the body and your mental health. Let's get to something that actually helps CogPog. Intellectual enrichment includes those things you do to keep your brain challenged. uh, To get the things like crosswords, uh, Sudoku, jigsaw puzzles, video games. Any type of games that are keeping your brain active are good for helping out with cognitive issues to get the biggest brain boosting benefits, learn a new skill or language, or pick up a new hobby. Uh, Some short-term strategies. You'll also benefit from uh, additional, let's see here. Take good notes, write everything down, use calendars, stuff like that, multitasking as little as possible is good. Don't don't try to multitask. Nobody really can. They've proven that. Uh, yeah, I mean, notes, writing stuff down, that's all common sense. You can use an organization technique like list or post-it notes. You can focus doing one task at a time in a quiet, distraction-free space. You can use the time of day you have the most energy for the most difficult tasks. Ask family and friends to speak more slowly to give you more time to process information. Yeah, that's going to go over good. Uh, Practice deep breathing to reduce the stress. And frustration of brain fog. Uh, Long term, you can eat brain food packed with healthy fats or omega-3s, like we said with the avocado, salmon, and 
walnuts, take a walk or indulge in another form of exercise you love regularly, learn something new to challenge your brain. If you're struggling with how to fit these strategies into your life, uh, talk with your doctor or medical team. They can help you come up with a plan to make these things work. I, yeah, I I agree with all those things, but I do. I Most of my exercise is way down <laughs> right now at the moment. Everything else I do fluently. And I will admit, it's like I just said with the podcast and stuff, it has helped with my cognitive issues, but it's none of these are things that are going to make my stuff go away. Uh, no matter what, it's always going to be there. It just helps it along and helps to keep your brain active. I mean, that's common sense. I mean, it helps to write things down. It's, it's, tough. it's great to keep notes and stuff, but it also can get frustrating because I have about 20 notepads full of shit that I, keep writing down and keep duplicating and all that stuff. It's not helping me from duplicating things that I'm putting down as notes and remembering things that I put down as notes. Then I sit there and take all those notepads and once every couple of weeks, I'm sitting there and reorganizing and putting all the notes back together and realizing I didn't get half the shit done I wanted to get done. (laughs) So yeah, you got to got to work around those things too and i don't know i was hoping this this article had more sources and stuff of other means to get help with our cognitive stuff but i like i said i'm not even reading 90 percent of these things until i read them with you and look them over with you because i get so much of this stuff filed in my mailbox my inbox and all my stuff and I just figured this is the easier way to go through it. It's like someone else might get some use out of it if I'm learning anything from it. So, But, yeah, hopefully we'll find some better cognitive help in the future. But those are things to do now, which most of us probably do do. Do do. <laughs> we'll get back here with more health stuff probably shortly. All right, let's see. What should we talk about next? Basically, I'm going to give you a little bit of information about infusions. And if you get diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, you're going to more than likely be referred to taking some type of disease-modifying drug, a DMD, or a disease-modifying therapy, a DMT. Uh, most doctors for early diagnosis, I think, like to start people out with something like Copaxone, which is an injectable therapy, but a lot more of them are going to a stronger type of therapy to start with, which may be an infusion type. Um, 
I started out with Copaxone, the injection daily, and then went to every every other day or three times a week, I think it was. And I did that for roughly four years before I got changed over to Ocrevus, which was that around an eight hour, six to eight hour infusion every six months where you had to go to a hospital and have it done. But everybody's different. Every doctor's different. You never know what they're going to offer to put you on and get you uh, trying to deal with and live with for a while to manage your symptoms and prevent future relapses and stuff like that, flare-ups, multiple sclerosis, MS is an immune-mediated condition that affects the central nervous system. Experts experts aren't exactly sure what causes it, but they know that the immune system is involved. With MS, your immune system mistakenly attacks your nerves and destroys myelin, their protective coating. If left untreated, MS can eventually destroy all the myelin surrounding your nerves. After that, it may start to harm the nerves themselves. There's no cure for MS. But there are several types of treatments that you can try. In some cases, treatments can slow the pace of MS. Treatments can also help ease symptoms and reduce potential damage done by MS flare-ups. Flare-ups are the periods when we have symptoms. Uh, Some of us, I guess, have flare-ups all the time. I always have MS symptoms. I I never took a flare-up as that. I took a flare-up as when a symptom amped up or reappeared, like a relapse. But if attacks happen often, you may need a type of medication called a disease modifier. Disease modifiers can change how the disease behaves. They can also help slow the progression of MS and reduce flare-ups. Some disease-modifying therapies come as infused medications. These infused treatments may also may be especially helpful to people with aggressive or advanced MS. Uh, infusion, infusion treatments are delivered slowly through a needle typically into a vein. These treatments are administered by a healthcare professional in a clinical setting or like an infusion center or sometimes in the comfort of the person's home if you're lucky enough to have insurance that'll cover that. Mine won't but because the treatment is going directly into the bloodstream. People receiving infusions will usually be monitored by a healthcare professional while they are getting the treatment. I'd say it's really messed up how healthcare works in this world because I basically worked the equivalency of or had two full-time jobs pretty much since I was about, I'd go back to eight years old or so because of being in a family business plus schooling plus working the farms in the morning, stuff like that. 
paper routes, all that. And it's like pretty much from when you woke up and went to bed, you were doing some type of shit that you didn't want. And if you're lucky, you got an hour or two of playtime in between. But yeah, it's bust your ass for most of your life and you get a disease and you find out that the insurances that you had through companies that you worked for and stuff just aren't worth a damn and don't cover shit for you once you get a disease or they end up dropping you because you aren't working with the company or the company decides, well, you got a chronic condition now. We're not going to keep you employed with us and all that shit. But yeah. So, so you got to check out what your options are and look into your insurance and see what extra benefits your insurance has and stuff and other programs that you can sign up for because there's tons of shit they don't tell you about. You got to find out for yourself. And then a lot of times, even if you do find out a bunch of good stuff, it's the shit that should benefit you, like physical therapy. I get six sessions a year that are covered. Six freaking sessions, physical therapy. I have a chronic disease that <laughs> does damage to my nervous system that causes issues with my walking, with pain levels, with all kinds of flare-ups and things that happen with my hands, my arms, my legs, my toes, my feet, and just tons of issues throughout my body that need physical therapy. And you give me six freaking sessions a year. <laughs> and then shit that I'd like to get medically wise to try stem cells and shit. That stuff's not covered. And it just, it makes no sense. The things we need the most, we can't get covered. Certain, even certain uh, medical medical equipment I need, they'll cover such a minute amount that I'm still stuck with thousands and dollars in bills if I want an item that would totally benefit me. A few years ago, I'm still trying to save up for it so I can get something. And it's like, why the hell wouldn't you help the people when they need it the most so they can get on the stuff? And try it and see if it helps them instead of just constantly giving us shit that makes us sicker. <laughs> Not giving us the opportunities for things that we do need. And I would love to have physical therapy even three months out of the year. I mean, I do go in for extra sessions. I pay for it out of my pocket and stuff like that. I'll go in for needling sessions and stuff if I can. Uh, it's just, it's so stupid. Because in the long run, the physical therapy would do the body's good, which means the bodies might not break down as much, which means less time in the freaking hospital, which means less cost for the insurance companies. So pay for the extra little bit of freaking physical therapy and quit with the bullshit. <laughs> this world is so stupid with everything. And just, I just can't believe how these companies do these different programs and all these things. It's like, even with road construction, we got four towns around us totally destroyed and 
instead of the construction companies working together and getting shit done and out of the way, they're just ripping more and more shit up and making it worse. It's like these people just don't think about what they're doing. It makes no sense. But let's get back to what we're talking about and shut up about the other stuff. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, different types of infusions that you can get. Not sure how many, if there's any new ones out. Uh, I know there's probably new ones out since this list. I haven't been keeping up with all of them because I went to a pill medication myself now, which wipes out my TMB cells. And trying that because Ocrevus didn't work for me with the infusion. So I still progressed, but it does help a lot of people. And I've seen a lot of happy people that were on it for a long period of time that weren't having no new issues and stuff like that. But we got LM Tuzumod, which is Lemtrata. Doctors give Lemtrata to people who haven't responded well to at least two other MS medications. This drug works by slowly reducing your body's number of B and T lymphocytes, which are types of white blood cells. This action may reduce inflammation and damage to nerve cells. You receive this drug once per day for five days. Then one year after your first treatment, you receive the drug once per day for three days. Which, and that's basically the same thing I'm doing, but I'm doing more intensely with one week the first month for five days with pills, and then one week the second month for five days for pills, nothing for a year, and then one same thing the following year, one week the first month, one week the second month, and then nothing else for ever, hopefully, for a long time, but... Yeah, yeah, I guess you can't stay on that medication because it's not good for you and it's cancer-causing and all that. So I got to take those into consideration. But but yeah, Lentrata is an infusion that's kind of like that. And then you got Natalizumab, which is Tisabri. Tisabri uh, works by stopping the damaging immune cells from entering your brain and spinal cord you receive this drug once every four weeks that's the one that i was going to go to but my neurologist agreed that maven cloud which is something i wanted to get on to a few years ago but it wasn't in the u.s at the time yet and uh i brought that up to him after i talked about sabri and he agreed with trying the Maven Clad if I wanted to, so I went that route. But the Savvy would probably be my next one to do if I if things didn't work out since Copaxone Copaxone didn't help for me and either did Ocrevus, but many it has, so don't be discouraged by it. Then there is Mitoxanthrone. Mitoxanthrone is an MS infusion treatment as well as a chemotherapy drug used to help treat cancer. It may work best for people with secondary progressive MS, where I'm at now. And I said a few years ago, but my other neurologist wouldn't listen to me. 
or rapidly worsening MS. Uh, that's because it's a immunosuppressant, which means it works to stop your immune system's reaction to MS attacks. This effect can reduce the symptoms of an MS flare-up. You receive this drug once every three months for a lifetime. Maximum cumulative dose of 140 milligrams per square meter. This dose will likely be reached within two to three years. So I guess this is so potent you can only do it for up to three years. Because of the risk of serious side effects, metoxetrone is only recommended for people with severe MS. I'm guessing that might be one that I might hear about if this thing doesn't do anything for me. Unless they have something new by then out. I know they do have other things they're working on that we might see in the near future. Ocrelizumab, Ocrevis, is the newest infusion treatment for MS. It was approved by the FDA in 2017. Ocrelizumab, so I started it basically right after it was approved because I think 2018 is a the beginning of 2018 is when I started uh, my first two infu- half infusions right after the new year in 2018. So it's used to treat relapsing or primary progressive forms of MS. I would assume secondary progressive would be put in there too since it's in between the two, but I don't know why they don't talk about that with it. But In fact, it's the first drug approved to treat primary progressive MS, which I know they're very happy about a lot of people finally getting something that they could get on and hopefully work with. This medication is thought to work by targeting the B lymphocytes that are responsible for myelin sheath damage and repair. It's initially given in two 300 milligram infusions separated by two weeks. After that, it's given in 600 milligram infusions every six months. Uh, side effects of the infusion process may include, now this is for all infusions, by the way, bruising or bleeding at the injection site, flushing or the reddening and warming of your skin, pills, nausea. Uh, You can also have an infusion reaction. Some reaction symptoms can include hives, scaly patches on your skin, warmness or fever or rash. I never had too bad thing with my infusions and stuff. I'd get the itch, the itchies all over. Uh, I'd get the tiredness and the amped up from the extra little, what is it, back with, not back with, in the, uh, it starts with a B, but, uh, yeah, I can't think of it right now, but that and the steroids that they give you with the infusion always put me down and amp me up, uh, but, you can 
I've had warming. I've never had no hives I, with my Copaxone. I'd have the hardening of the skin, the bumps, the welts, the reddening of the skin, the burning of the skin, stuff like that. But didn't have too many problems with my infusions other than the initial react- reactions from the uh, different medications that they give you with it. But the site areas, I haven't had to deal with much, thankfully. But I have had times where I had, like, contrast dyes and stuff put in me, and they it blew out the vein, and all of a sudden you got an arm that looks like you got a secondary bicep sticking out of it. They're all hulked up, <laughs> all weird looking. Then the side effects from the infusion drugs, elituzumab, some of the more common ones are rash, headache, fever, common cold, nausea, urinary tract infections, and fatigue. Uh, it can also cause very serious and potentially fatal fatal side effects, autoimmune reactions, such as Jillian-Barr syndrome and organ failure, cancer, and blood disorders, and natalizumab. Common side effects are infections, allergic reactions, headache, fatigue, and depression, whereas serious side effects are a rare and deadly brain infection called progressive multifocal leukophilopathy, PML, which I tested positive for and had to watch out for with certain medications. Uh, liver problems with symptoms such as yellowing of your skin, which is jaundice, I believe, or the whites of your eyes, uh, darker brown tea-colored urine, pain in the upper right side of your abdomen, which I had that while I was on Ocrevus, but nothing came out of it other than spots on my liver and shit. I still got damn pain around, but not as intense. They didn't give me no results from that. Uh, bleeding or bruising that occurs more easily than normal. And tiredness. Uh, mitoxanthrone. Common side effects are low WBC levels, which may increase your risk of infections. Uh, depression, bone pain, nausea or vomiting, hair loss, UTIs, amenorrhea or a lack of menstrual periods. And serious side effects can include congestive heart failure, kidney failure, and blood issues. Receiving too much of that drug puts you at risk for serious side effects that can vary toxicity to your body, like the ones we just talked about. Ocrelizumab, the more common side effects are infections or infusion reactions. Serious side effects. I'm getting attacked by a gnat. Oh, the cat just came in. Did you just bring the gnat with you? <laughs> uh, common ones are infections and infusion reactions. And serious side effects can include PML, reactivation of hepatitis B or shingles if they're already in your system, a weakened immune system, and cancer, including breast cancer.
So, but yeah, there are other infusion treatments that a doctor may suggest that don't that don't also function as a disease modifying drug for MS. But there's things like plasmapharius, which involves removing blood from your body, filtering it to remove antibodies that may be attacking your nervous system and sending the cleansed blood back into your body through a transfusion, which is something I wanted to get done. I'm hoping maybe after all this stuff with the maven clad two-year process, maybe I can get my blood cleaned. Uh, there's intravenous immunoglobulin, IVIG therapy that you receive blood plasma donations from people without immune conditions. This transfusion helps boost your immune system. You would think our immune system already being boosted. We wouldn't, wouldn't benefit from that, but who knows. Rituximab, rituxin. I've heard people that were on this with other stuff. This treatment works by targeting white blood cells known as B lymphocytes, traditionally used to help treat conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Uh, Methylprednisolone, which is salomedrol, methylprednisolone, is a potent anti-inflammatory steroid. Like other steroids for MS, it works by helping to prevent inflammatory cells from crossing into the central nervous system. But just basically talk with your doctor, see what he thinks you should try, and see if you agree, research best you can, and see what happens. We will get you with more stuff in the near future. All right, a little earlier we talked about physical therapy. And if you're going to do physical therapy, you might get in some resistant brand, resistant brand, resistance band training. And a lot of physical therapists will give you a couple resistance bands to take home, which is nice. But if you want some different types of resistance bands, let's look at some different ones that you can get. Basically, these are rated depending on their performance, their durability, usability, their price. Uh, Low-priced ones are around ten bucks. Mid-priced are eleven to twenty, and higher prices twenty bucks on up, twenty-one on up or so. But they have the best resistance loop band. It's the fit. Fit simply loop band set. Price is lower level. Uh, circumference is 24 inches. And this one, unlike flat resistance bands, loop bands connect end to end. This frees you up from having to tie and untie knots, which can accelerate wear and tear on the flat bands. Uh, loop bands are great for both men and women. They can increase the results 
you get from tons of ex- exercises such as squats and lat pull downs, plus add extra muscle building power to Pilates and yoga moves. And it's I like how they attach like that end to end instead of tying them up, knotting them. Uh, the nice one for with handles that they have is a Dynapro exercise. This is a mid-priced one. Length is about 66 inches. Uh, resistance, resistance bands that have handles provide you with security of a sturdy grip while exercising. They're perfect for any move designed to build muscle mass and strength, taking the place of free weights or machines. Many resistance bands with handles are just too short to perform overhead exercises. These are nice because they're 66 inches, so you can like stand on them and lift your arms above your head and get all that flexibility with them. Uh, and the handles on this one are nicely padded and sturdy, so it gives you an easy, good grip with it. There's for some. These I've never seen, but I want to try them. But they have fabric resistance bands. It's uh, Arena Strength Fabric Booty Bands are mid-priced. Uh, circumference is 27 inches. Basically, fabric resistance bands are more comfortable on your skin for some people. And they also tend to roll and slip less which they ab- because they absorb sweat, which is thing i'd like to try just because the regular ones they do you get worked up and get a sweat going it's it will slide around easily and move up and down your legs and stuff and it can be annoying so yeah i want to try out these fabric ones myself and a lot of these you can get on like amazon ebay stuff like that so and these also that you can find them on amazon so you can try that they, the ones that you're going to get from your physical therapist more than likely are resistance bands for seniors from, from Curtis Adams. These are low price, length about 44 inches, but I believe you can get them in all kinds of different lengths. So you can look into that and see what your therapist will give you and stuff like that. I'm getting attacked by a cat right now. <laughs> trying to force his way in, into sitting on my feet. My feet were all wrapped up. But he didn't care. He just wants you to do what he wants. And, of course, my microwave. Microwave. Oh, Jesus. Ah, brain's everywhere today. My microphone cord is laying right next to him, so he decides to attack that, too. So... <laughs> Might get short-circuited here. But these flat resistance bands that feature minimal tension can typically be used by older adults or people that have more severe pains. Get you started with resistance bands or whatever. They have a minimal amount of resistance, plus it's long enough to accommodate seated workouts. Uh, If you work out from a wheelchair or practice chair yoga, this would probably come in handy. 
And these, I bought a few of these off Amazon for myself a while back, and I love these things, but they're, I, I didn't buy this company's, I bought other ones, but they're Wood Fitters Assisted Pull-Up Resistance Bands. These are higher priced, but you can use these individually or combined with each other. They're easily, the, they're easy to uh, tie together by doing a loop thing. They're also sold in individually and as a bundle. They're available in five different color-coded resistance levels. Um, these bands are designed for cross-training and can be used to work out every muscle group in the body. You can use them with equipment and stuff. I've done it before that way. They say, if you're new to resistance bands, consider buying a set that includes a variety of resistance levels, which I suggest too, as I have at least four different style and length bands for my flat bands. And then my ones I just talked about, those ones I have four of them and all the same length, but they're great because I tie them to the porch post and stuff like that. So I can use them out on the front porch when I'm outside and they're just, they're awesome. But if you're using resistance bands to build muscle, keep in mind that they work the same way as free, free weights do. They generate external resistance that your muscle that your muscles work against. Unlike free weights, however, resistance bands require you to maintain external pressure uh, at all times, even between reps. For this reason, you may find that you need to do fewer reps with a resistance band than you do on an exercise machine or with free weights. To avoid really sore muscles, let yourself get used to them, start slowly, if it hurts, stop. Uh, <laughs> don't overwork it. But basically, they're great for adding muscle building power to most of your workouts. They're also excellent for rehabilitating muscles after an injury. They come in several lengths, strengths, and types, making them highly usable by most people. They're inexpensive and transportable to I mean, it's like DDP yoga, you're using resistance yoga, uh, making your muscles think that they're holding weights and working harder than they actually are, and your muscles accept that, and they build from it, and it's great. And it's like you can don't need a gym in your house. You can get yourself a few resistance bands and just do a variety of yoga and other workouts with it, and that's all you need. You don't need to spend tons of money on an extra room in the house and filling it full of weights and all that type of equipment. And these things are awesome for that. But yeah, look into them, try them out, see if they help you at all. And talk to your physical therapist about them too. And we'll get back to you again with more information soon. We've learned a bunch of stuff today, and it's getting to the end. So let's end it the right way and talk about how to fall asleep 
in 10, 60, or 120 seconds. I don't believe it can be done, but I'm going to try some of these. But basically spending more time trying to fall asleep rather than actually sleeping, you're not alone. Just the act of trying too hard can cause or continue a cycle of anxious, nerve-wracking energy that keeps your minds awake, which happens a lot of times when I have a major appointment early in the morning, and I'll sit there and think about it and think about trying to fall asleep, and I end up staying up the whole damn night because I can't fall asleep or maybe getting a half hour in here or there or something like that but usually i just end up tired and frustrated because i didn't sleep at all the night but which doesn't help when you got to get stuffed in a machine or something like that and your stress levels are up and that's going to mess with your readings but if your mind can't sleep it's really difficult for your body to follow but there are scientific tricks try to flip the switch and guide your body into a safe shutdown mode. So they say how to sleep in 10 seconds. It usually takes a magic spell to fall asleep this quickly and on cue. But just like spells with practice, you can eventually get to the sweet 10 second spot. The method this method that I'm going to talk about takes a full 120 seconds to finish, but the last 10 seconds is said to be truly all it takes to finally snooze. Basically, this is the military method, which was reported by Sharon Ackerman, and it comes from a book titled Relax and Win. Championship performance. Uh, the practice is said to even work for people who need to sleep sitting up. <laughs> she said that the U.S. Navy pre-flight school created a routine to help pilots fall asleep in two minutes or less. It took pilots about six weeks of practice, but it worked, even after drinking coffee and with gunfire noises in the background. All right, the military method. Relax your entire face, including the muscles inside your mouth. Drop your shoulders to release the tension and let your hands drop to the side of your body. Exhale, relaxing your chest. Relax your legs, thighs, and calves. Clear your mind for 10 seconds by imagining a relaxing scene. If this doesn't work, try saying the words, don't think, over and over for 10 seconds. Within 10 seconds, you should fall asleep. I'm going to try that one tonight, which I probably won't remember to do it. I will try that one the first few nights, see what happens. Uh, If it doesn't work for you, they say you may need to 
work on the foundations of the military method, which is breathing and muscle relaxation, which have some scientific evidence that they work. Also, some conditions such as ADHD or anxiety may interfere with this method of effectiveness. So now let's see how to sleep in 60 seconds. They're giving us two types of methods for this one, which focus on breath or muscles. help you take your mind off topics and back to bed if you're a beginner try using these hack trying these hacks out these methods may take up to two minutes to work so they got the four seven eight breathing method mixing together the powers of meditation and visualization this breathing method becomes more effective with practice you have a respiratory condition such as asthma or COPD, consider checking, consider checking with your doctor before beginning, as this could aggravate your symptoms. To prepare, place the tip of your tongue against the roof of your mouth. That's also a thing you do if you have an ice cream headache. Well, not the tip of your tongue, just push the whole, your whole tongue against the roof of your mouth. A little tip for you in the future if you have an ice cream headache. It's supposed to help. Sometimes it mellows it for me, but it doesn't make it go all the way. <laughs> okay, place the tip of your tongue against the roof of your mouth. Behind your two front teeth. Keep your tongue there the whole time and purse your lips if you need to. Okay, this is how you do the one cycle of four, seven, eight breathing. Let your lips part slightly and make a whooshing sound. As you exhale through your mouth, whoosh. <laughs> then close your lips and inhale silently through your nose. Count to four in your head. Then hold your breath for seven seconds. After, exhale with a whoosh sound for eight seconds. Avoid being too alert at the end of each cycle. Try to practice it mindlessly. Complete this cycle for four full breaths. Let your body sleep if you feel relaxation coming on earlier than anticipated. Well, let's try that one down the road after my other one. Then we have the second version is progressive muscle relaxation, PMR, also known as deep muscle relaxation, relaxation, which helps you unwind. The premise is to tense but not strain your muscles and relax to release the tension. This movement promotes tranquility throughout your body. It's a trick recommended to help with insomnia. Before you start, try practicing the 478 method while imagining the tension leaving your body as you exhale. So here's how we do re relaxation script. Raise your eyebrows as high as possible for five seconds. 
This will tighten your forehead muscles. Relax your muscles immediately and feel the tension drop. Wait 10 seconds. Smile widely to create tension in your cheeks. Hold for ten sec or hold for five seconds and then relax. Pause for ten seconds. Squint with your eyes shut. Hold for five seconds and then relax. Pause for 10 seconds. Tilt your head slightly back so you're comfortably looking at the ceiling. Hold for five seconds. Relax as your neck sinks back into the pillow and pause for 10 seconds. Keep moving down the rest of the body from your triceps to chest, thighs to feet. Let yourself fall asleep even if you don't finish tensing and relaxing the rest of your body. I know I do something similar to this. And a lot of times I'll get only through a few moves and then either forget what I was doing or just space off. <laughs> Happens a lot. My cog cog, my cognitive issues. As you do this, focus on how relaxed and heavy your body feels when it's relaxed and in a comfortable state. And then how to fall asleep in 120 seconds. If the previous method still didn't work, there might be an underlying blockage you need to get out. Try these techniques. Tell yourself to stay awake. Also called paradoxical intention. Telling yourself to stay awake may be a good way to fall asleep faster. For people, especially those with insomnia, trying to sleep can increase performance anxiety. Research has found that people who practiced paradoxical intention fell asleep faster than those who didn't. If you often find yourself stressed out about trying to sleep, this method may be more effective than traditional intentional breathing practices. Visualize a calm place. If counting activates your mind too much, try engaging your imagination. Some say that visualizing something can make it real, and it's possible this works with sleep too. Image distraction. Instead of counting sheep, try to imagine a serene setting and all the feelings that go with it. For example, you can imagine waterfall, a waterfall, the sound of echoing, Echo, echo, echo. Rushing water and the scent of damp moss. 
the key, the scent of damp mop. Okay, the key is to let this image take up space in your brain to prevent yourself from re-engaging with thought, worries, and concerns. Then there's acupressure for sleep. There's not enough research to determine if acupressure really works, but research that's available is promising. One method is to target areas you know and feel are particularly tense, such as the upper part of your nose, bridge, or your temple temples. However, there are also specific points in acupressure that are reported to help with insomnia. Uh, here's three of them. You got spirit gate. Basically, the technique is feel for the small hollow space under your palm on your pinky side. Gently apply pressure in a circular or up and down movement for two to three minutes. And then press down the left side of the point, palm facing with gentle pressure for a few seconds, and then hold the right side back of hand facing, and then repeat on the same area on your other wrist. So you gently apply pressure in a circular up and down motion in that little spot under your palm on your pinky side of your hand for two to three minutes. And then you press down the left side of the point palm facing towards you with gentle pressure for a few seconds. And then hold the right side back of hand. Huh. It's kind of confusing. They don't show you much other than the pressure point thing on the picture. So that's a little confusing with that whole back of the hand part, but uh, try the try the rotation and the movement down and then just put pressure on the back of the hand on the opposite side of the wrist, I guess. But then they have inner front gate or inner frontier gate. I hope you're gonna get with my speech. <laughs> the technique is on one palm facing up, count three fingers whisk down the width of three fingers down from your wrist, three. At the bottom of your wrist there, where it's got all the little creases in it. Uh, with your thumb, apply a steady downward pressure between the two tendons. You can massage in circular or up and down motion until you feel your muscles relax. It's like even with this touch, tiny touch of my hands, on my numbness, my MS numbness that I have from my forearms to my fingertips, it drives me insane just trying to do any type of pressure point thing with it. It's just so weird how it feels. And then we got the wind pool. This one, the technique, interlock your fingers together. Fingers out and palms touching. Open 
up your palms to create a cup shape with your hands. Position your thumbs at the base of your skull with thumbs touching where your neck and head connect. Okay. Apply a deep and firm pressure using circular or up and down movements to massage this area. And breathe deeply and pay attention to how your body rela relaxes as you exhale and kind of feel it in there with the pressure. Uh, yeah, those are some interesting little acupressure techniques that you can do on yourself. But uh, make sure that before tackling these techniques, uh, if there's you're still finding yourself unable to sleep or fall asleep within a couple minutes or less. Uh, some tips are hide your clock. You don't have that distraction and that light. Taking a warm shower before bed. Opening the window to keep your room cool. Wearing socks. A gentle 15-minute yoga routine. Placing your phone far away from your bed. Aromatherapy like lavender, chamomile, or clary sage. Eating earlier to avoid stomach digestion or stimulation before bed. Shut out a good thing technique is shut off all your devices. At least an hour before bed so you don't have that blue screen stuff going on with you. Uh, and you can also get like blackout curtains and white noise machines and earplugs. Uh, depending on what time of day you sleep and what your environment is. There are sleep gummies uh, that they got like a sleep cough drop. That's only one milligram of uh, melatonin, but uh, that thing just kicks the shit out of you. But now it's not working as well on my wife, so now she's got to try some other ones. But I'll take a ten milligram one that you swallow and. Doesn't do hardly anything to me, and I'll suck on that one milligram. It just knocks me out half the time. I've tried gummies. They're five milligram, ten milligram didn't do much to me. But the dissolving three milligram, one that dissolves in your mouth, under your tongue, that one has helped. Uh, there's just a variety of different, different ones you can try and stuff like that also. But... Keep in mind where you're doing these acupressure things. If you move your hand over, your thumb over maybe an inch or so, you might accidentally give yourself a Vulcan death, death grip or something. <laughs> so be careful of things like that. But yeah, those are some cool little acupressure things to try. And we'll get back to you with more stuff. In the future, we're going to end this MS Health segment here. Be good to yourself. Be good to everybody else. Get you a monster. And we'll get back to you with some more interesting facts in the future.